you for being a part of what we're doing here. I'm really excited about this study. This is one that, that I'm digging into in a different way, week in, week out. It's caused me to read a whole lot more of a different type of material than normal. And so it's a little bit different in the way the lessons are being sent out because I'm rewriting them a lot as we go along and changing some things up a little bit, adding some new material, etc. So with all of that, with this being our case legal study, case study, whatever I call it, a legal case study, on Paul. Here was the premise that's behind this whole class. I think y'all are all here, but just in case, if Paul had come into my office or someone had contacted me about him after his arrest in Jerusalem in 57 AD, how would I have handled his case? That's what this class is going to be. It's a different way to look at Paul. Looks at him through a little different lens. And as a result, it's going to force us, if we do it justice, into digging into the culture and the time period where Paul was in a way that we've not done before in this class, maybe not done before much of anywhere, at least uh, in contemporary life that I know of. And so I really want us to do that together because I think it will open up some understanding and give us some encouragement and direction in our own lives. At least it is for me. And so hopefully if I don't get too much in the way, it will for you as well if I can share these things adequately with you. I've told you before, the first couple of slides are all the same, but it's to keep us in the flow of this. The first thing I would need to do is interview Paul. I would sit down with him and I would go over background information to figure out his road up to that point so that I could then figure out where he was headed and what he was doing. I would get his name and learn that it was both Paul, a Roman name, and Shaul, a, a, a Jewish name. Now, the Jewish name Shaul... Say it, Shaul, Shaul, very good. That S-H sound doesn't exist in the Greek. The Greek alphabet has a sigma, an S, but it's a S, -s, -s not a sh, sh, okay? So the Greeks would have had trouble pronouncing Shaul anyway. Best they could do is write it as Solos, but that doesn't even remotely sound like Shaul. So the Greeks... With the Greeks, and in the Greek world, Paul used his Latin name, his Greek name, Paulos, or Paulus in the Latin. And so we, those are both his names, very legitimate names. Now, Paul's appearance we don't have in the Bible, but we have from other, uh, uh, another writing that would have been contemporaneous with people who had visually seen Paul. And so we've got an idea of what he looked like. He wasn't an overpowering, handsome, suave, debonair guy. He looked a little bit more Cro-Magnon across here. His eyebrows met. He had a, a long nose and he walked kind of crooked. And uh, 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 his hair was scanty. Now, y'all can use that, some of y'all, can use that sometimes when people might make reference to the fact you're losing your hair. Say, I don't like to refer to it that way. I like to say I have scanty hair. Just saying, it's a freebie. Now, Paul's family tree and his family history are fairly important. We're going to go back and look a little bit at that today. But these were passages of Scripture that told us about his family history. And if we went through those one at a time, we would see that Paul was born in Tarsus, Cilicia. That's modern Turkey. I'll put it on a map for you again in a minute. Paul was a citizen of Tarsus. Paul was also a citizen of Rome. Paul was a Pharisee, as was his father before him. Paul was not an only child. We know he at least had a sister. We know that Paul was good with Greek, good with Hebrew, good with Aramaic, and good with Latin. We know that Paul had a 
rabbinical mentor as Gamaliel. We studied that in great depth last week. His Hebrew lineage was pure. He could trace his family all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul was part of the Sanhedrin back before he became, uh, 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 back before he put his faith in Jesus as Messiah. And so we've got some information about Paul. By the way, if Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, that should mean he was at least 40 years old and married at that point in time. What happened to his wife, we don't know. But that puts the birth of Paul somewhere around the same time period as the birth of Jesus. So he would have been a close contemporary in age, maybe even a year or two older than Jesus. So with all of that as background... I want to talk to you a little bit more detail and clean up a couple of things we haven't covered in class that become relevant to today. Tarsus. I showed you this map. Tarsus is in basically what we would consider the southeast of modern-day Turkey. You can still go and see the remains of Tarsus, some of the remains of Tarsus, in the the Turkish town of Mersin, I believe is what it is. But uh, uh, it was... Uh, right about there, Tarsus was about 10 miles inland on both sides of the, it was called the Kidnus River at the time. Now it's the Burden River is what they call it. But, but it was a river that flowed from the mountains up here with real cold water and it flowed right down through the middle of Tarsus. There's some waterfalls there that you can still see today. Let's see if I can put them up here. Of, uh, and that kind of gives you an idea of how wide the river was. Now, a dam has been built to the north of the river at this point, and it's drained a lot of the river down below. At the time of Paul, the river and Tarsus dumped out into a big lake that then dumped out into the Mediterranean Sea. And at that lake, the, the Romans kept a naval, a, a naval uh, presence. It was their naval base, if you will, for part of the Roman Empire. So Paul would have had familiarity with ships and shipping and shipping as a mode of travel, something very different than most Israelites. Most of the Jews in Israel viewed water as something that was absolutely mortifyingly scary. And they, 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 it was it was not viewed as it was akin to chaos. You didn't go out into the Mediterranean Sea unless you really needed to for Paul. Not that big of a deal, probably. He grew up around ships and shipping. That lake is where Cleopatra sailed up, dressed as Aphrodite, to meet Mark Antony, if you watch those types of movies, like my brother-in-law, Randy. Uh, (laughs) Tarsus was an intellectual powerhouse. They raised scholars. It was considered at the time more intellectually vigorous than Athens uh, or, or many of the other Greek cities that we tend to think of today as the intellectual centers of, of thought for Greek thought. Not so at the time of Paul. In fact, the tutor for Caesar Augustus came from Tarsus. Tarsus was, uh, um, think of it like it was, I don't know, combination between Texas Tech and Harvard. It, it was kind of like the, the, the confluence of all things uh, uh, academic and constantly putting out scholars for the rest of the benefit of the rest of the world. So Tarsus is Paul's town. And, and, and that's why Paul is going to tell the arresting a tribune when, he, when he's arrested in Rome. He says, look, I'm from Tarsus. That's not an obscure city. That, that's a major place. I'm a real guy from a real city. And that's what, what it was. Now, one of the things then that I'd really want to do, and I'd put on my to-do list coming out of this interview of Paul is, I want to research what it meant to be a citizen of Tarsus in a little bit more detail. I want to research what it meant to be a Roman citizen. Because you'll recall right before they started to flog Paul, Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. And it stopped them from flogging him. So I want to know a little bit more about Roman citizenship. And and uh, I do that by looking at things like, what is Tarsus? By the way, Tarsus, I had left this out, a sports town. There was a gymnasium, a famous gymnasium that had been built 
right there by the side of the river in Tarsus. And so Tarsus was famous for its sports. It was famous for its music. It was famous for its philosophy. All of these areas, when you read Paul, are areas that Paul talks about so easily. And it's so interesting to read old accounts of Tarsus. One of the writers that was a contemporary of Paul said, if you ever meet anyone from Tarsus, you'll know it because they can talk forever about anything. Paul seems to have that gift. But Tarsians were famous for just being able to talk and talk and talk about all these different things. Another interesting fact about Tarsus, they sent so many of their educated people out. The major export of Tarsus was intellectual power. Okay? Most of them found themselves ultimately in Rome. Rome had a huge population of Tarsians. Which is interesting because Paul has a great desire to get to Rome. He writes the church at Rome before he had ever gone there. And he tells them, I'm dying to get to see you. Ultimately, this arrest gives Paul the opportunity to go to Rome where so many of his Tarsian fellow citizens already were. So with all of that, oh, that's Strabo. Tarsians were famous for an ability to instantly speak offhand and unceasingly on any given subject, meaning they could talk immediately and it never seemed to stop on just about any subject. So what can we find out about Tarsian citizenship? I told you two weeks ago that we can read and find out it cost 500 drachmae to become a citizen. You had to be male to become a citizen. But 500 drachmae is not a small amount. 500 drachmae is actually rather huge. So the fact that this was a costly citizenship is important. It tells you that Paul came from a family of significant wealth. Why else would anyone pay a year and a half worth of money for Tarsian citizenship? Well, you say, I'd like to know the value. What did you get out of it? It almost, not quite, but it almost was a country club opportunity. I'm not saying it was Mar-a-Lago, but it was pretty close. It cost an arm and a leg, and the main value was it allowed you to be a community leader. You could serve on councils. You could serve on decision-making bodies. You could be the mayor, equivalent. You could do things in the community as a leader. Now, part of that also meant you were expected to fund things within the community. It's one of these things where it not just, you didn't just pay 500 drachmae and get to be now Lord High Muckety Muck when you walk around the street. In addition to that, you were expected to pump money into things. You had to sponsor some gymnasium activities or a music festival. Or, or, or build a building. Or do something of that nature. The, 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 that's what citizenship got you. It got you the opportunity to become someone notable within the city. Isn't it interesting that Paul would have been a citizen of Tarsus? It tells you something significant about it. Paul was not from the exclusivist Jewish community. There were Jews that were very exclusivist, that would not have anything to do with Gentiles, especially in Israel. But outside of Israel, it was a little bit different scenario. And certainly, and even within Israel, some of it, Gamaliel, for example, was was friendly with the, the, the Gentiles. Jesus was friendly with Gentiles. He would talk to people other than Jews. So Paul's not from the exclusivist Jews. This is the man that God has picked out beforehand 
to go take his message to the Gentiles. This, I mean, it's hand in glove. Don't think for a moment, if there's something peculiar about you and your past and where you are in this world and what you have to offer, don't for one moment think that it's a coincidence in the hands of our God. It's not. Regardless of what your skin color is, what your education is, what your experience is, what your social structure is, what your economics are, what your personality is, whether you're left-handed or right-handed. It's, it's all something that God's put in a position to use you right now in a unique way for his kingdom. It's no different for us than Paul. Maybe less visible, but no different. So this is Paul. Now, that is Tarzian citizenship. <clears throat> I want to talk about Roman citizenship. Most people in this room probably are citizens of the United States of America. Maybe not all. But if I were to ask you, how many of you are citizens of Houston, Texas? No one's hand will go up. Because we don't have different citizenship for a city. We don't... Okay, uh, I, I was uh, uh, teaching a law school class at the University of Texas last week. And yes, I feel sorry for them because they clearly couldn't get into Texas Tech School of Law. <laughs> so I went there to do some mission work. Um, but after I, I, I taught the class, they gave me a book on being a, a proud Texan. It's a pretty good book, actually. It's pretty funny. And uh, uh, so I got a book on being a proud Texan. But we don't have Texas citizenship. We act like it. We tell everybody we do. But legally, we really don't. We have this concept of legal residency. We might be a resident of Texas. You might be a resident of New York, in which event you get to pay state income tax. We don't. But, but, but you, you, you're not a citizen. Your citizenship is of the United States of America. That's not the case in the time of Paul. Simply being a Tarsian citizen, a citizen of Tarsus, did not make you a citizen of Rome. And, and we're further plagued trying to get back into this mindset by this idea that Roman citizenship was citizenship in the Roman Empire. It wasn't. The Roman Empire is, is what we see in this map. But citizenship, Roman citizenship didn't mean you were a, a, a citizen of the empire in a sense. What it really meant was you're a citizen of the city of Rome. That's why it's Roman citizenship. The other cities around Rome, the Latius cities, the Latin cities, by the time of Paul had gotten Roman citizenship, but Italy got its Roman citizenship, the freed men of Italy got Roman citizenship basically through a civil war about 80 years B.C., Outside of Rome, there were not a lot of Roman citizens. It was not something that was freely given out. So Paul is in Jerusalem. Paul is a citizen of Tarsus from Tarsus, but he's also a citizen of Rome. So I spent a good bit of this last week reading all of these legal treatises old, ancient, and modern, on Roman citizenship. Because if I'd been representing Paul, that's one of the things I'd have done. I need to know what his rights are as a Roman citizen and what it meant to be a Roman citizen. So we've got to backtrack for a minute and talk about this in some more detail. Because it's really significant. Now, when you look at Roman citizenship, makes a difference. We want to look at Roman citizenship before 1 A.D., because Paul was born a Roman citizen, which means his parents were Roman citizens, mom and dad. 
So Paul's mom and dad are citizens of Rome. Paul is born to Roman citizens. That makes Paul born a Roman citizen, a citizen of Rome. How did mom and dad, assuming that they're from Tarsus, and you didn't have people move around that much in that age, certainly not people who, who uh, uh, had a lot of resources. They tend to accumulate those over time. So how do mom and dad get their citizenship? We don't know for certain. There's no way to know. But we know that the Caesar at that time was Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus was really, really stingy about Roman citizenship. Um, Caesar Augustus, let's see if I marked it in here. Caesar Augustus was, um, uh, who's good at Roman numerals? XV, shouldn't that be, I mean, XL, shouldn't that be 40? Yeah, okay. So here it is, XL. So I'm going to read to you a little bit, or read with you a little bit from Suetonius. Suetonius wrote histories on the lives of the Caesars. And he wrote them, oh, maybe 30 years after the events of Paul that we're reading about right now. So, so this is 30 years after the events that we're studying about with Paul. But it's the official information about this. So this is all about the Caesar Augustus. And so let's look at what he says about the Caesar Augustus and citizenship. Because the Caesar could make people who were not living in Rome or Italy, he could make them citizens of Rome. The Caesar is has a bunch of different titles. It's kind of like the Pope has a bunch of different titles. You know, he's the vicar of Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the seat of Peter. He's all of these different things. Okay, the Roman emperor had a lot of different titles. And one of the titles he had was of the head of Rome. He's the head of the city of Rome. And as the head of the city of Rome, he could give Roman citizenship to people. He could determine who was allowed to be a citizen of the city and who wasn't. So that's what uh, uh, Suetonius is writing about here. He said that uh, Augustus considered it great importance to keep the Roman people pure and unsullied by any taint of foreign or servile blood. Didn't want servants into the citizenship of Rome. He was most chary. Has anyone in this room ever used the word chari before in their life? Now you can, because you'll know that it means hesitant, reticent, chari. Becky, I would love to eat liver and onions, but I'm a bit chari of that. Would you please make your tasty chicken instead? He was most chary of conferring Roman citizenship. He set a limit to manumission. That's um, setting slaves free. When Tiberius requested citizenship for a Greek dependent of his, Augustus wrote in reply, he would not grant it unless the man appeared in person and convinced him that he had reasonable grounds for the request. When Livia asked it for a German from a tributary province, Augustus refused. Instead, said that he would offer him freedom from tribute, basically he doesn't have to pay taxes, and declared he would more willingly suffer a loss to his income than prostituting the honor of Roman citizenship. To become a Roman citizen was no small feat for Paul's parents. Now, we do know that Augustus was real plugged into Tarsus. And we know that Tarsus played a role in the Civil War. And, and Tarsus helped Augustus keep his kingdom together. And Tarsus was a place where the naval fleet was. 
maybe Paul's parents got their citizenship through that. Maybe it was through the help of Julius Caesar as Caesar worked through there. Maybe it's through Marcus Antony. We don't know. But it is a rarity for someone that far outside of Rome to have citizenship in the city of Rome. There's certain uniqueness of Tarsus. And that's the best we can come up with. Now, we've got to talk about something else. Okay? Real important part of this. Good to have you back. Real important part of this. So I need some help. I need, um, let's see, Sarah. I need the triplets up here. Can I get Sarah, Rachel, and Erica? Y'all come on up. Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. We don't have time. Jump, 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 jump. Come on. Spit spot. Mary Poppins, really useful. Spit spot. Come on, come on. All the way up, all the way up. These are the, 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 the triplets, Okay. Rachel and Erica, Tosh and Sarah Lanier, they look like triplets, I'm sure. Y'all want to give them a hand. Thank you for coming up here. Okay. Rachel, raise your hand. Erica, raise your hand. Look at that. Did you see what just happened? Rachel, raise your hand again. Erica, raise your hand again. You see what happened? Identical twins. Erica is left-handed. Rachel is right-handed. Huh. Sarah. Not so identical in the triplet category. But they've been best friends since y'all were how old? Three. They're seniors in high school. Now, yeah, 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 that's a big deal. Okay. I want to talk about the importance of social status. In America, it's not so important. You go rags to riches and you brag about it on TV, you become an icon. But people were divided up in categories. So they would take left-handed people. All the left-handed people, come over here to me. All the right-handed people over there. And they would make distinctions between people based upon class. So they might look at these three, if we did this as class, say, Sarah, I'm sorry, honey, you don't quite measure up. You don't have the dark hair. You just stay right there. But you are a class down from the, the brunette beauties over here, okay? Now, you two look very close, but y'all are different because, Rachel, you're right-handed, and Erica, you're left-handed. I'm sorry, Rachel, you need to stand a little bit closer to her. And now you stand a little bit over here. These distinctions I'm making artificially based upon appearance and hand. Y'all can go sit down. Thank you. Y'all did real good. Okay. I'm making the distinctions there. But there were huge social class distinctions at the time of Paul in, in the Roman Empire. I don't mean small. I mean huge. You didn't. Occasionally there'd be the rags to riches story. But it was so rare. And most of the time, everybody stayed in the social class in which they were born. They belonged there. Let me tell you how bad it was. If you're not a Roman citizen, you're not allowed to wear a toga. At the theater or at the sporting events or in our talk, the movie cinema. The seating was assigned based upon your placement in social structure. The first 12 rows in Rome are reserved for the senators. And then beyond that, and then beyond that. And if you sat outside of your social structure in a different seat, the punishment was severe. You were expected to live and behave and work in your social structure and give honor and homage to people who were in a higher structure. Now, the social structures were built around three basic questions. Question number one, were you slave or free? If you're slave, you are at the bottom. In fact, you're not even considered human. You're chattel. You're a possession. You're like cattle. You had some legal rights, but they were so minimal. And that's on the slave level. 
Second question, do you possess any citizenship? Citizen of Tarsus. A citizenship equivalent in Jerusalem. Did you have some aura of, of notoriety within that area where you lived? If so, that elevated you up above, say, a freed person who didn't have citizenship. And then the third question was, did you have a position in a Roman household? A household of Rome. That's a household where the family has allegiance and is citizenry of Rome. See, because a Roman citizen has all three of those. You can't be a slave and be a Roman citizen. You must be free. You've got to possess citizenship, at least of Rome. So you've got some citizenship and you're in a Roman household. So Roman citizens had all three. That put them in a social strata that it was different than the stratum of others. They held a very special and distinct position. Now, even within that world, there are some more differences. The Roman citizens were also divided up. You will find that Roman citizens have not just the clear classes of, okay, here's one that's citizen, but here, those are togas, okay? Only Roman citizens could wear a toga. I don't know if you saw that or not. See, so when we said Roman citizens have all three, if you see on the PowerPoint, that guy at the top of the social strata, he got a toga. He's a Roman citizen. But the guy below him on the social strata, he gets a toga too. Because there were two different kinds of citizens, two different groups, different Latin names for them. One group of citizens were citizens who were born a citizen. The other group were people who had bought or been granted their citizenship in their life. Those who had bought or purchased or been given citizenship, yes, they were a cut above everybody who wasn't a citizen. But compared to the people who'd been freeborn citizens, they were kind of like hold your nose. They're actually diluting the purity of our citizenship of Rome. And there was a disdain for those people. Now, with that in mind, I want us to go back. By the way, if you were in the sermon this morning, it explains a little bit more. When you start realizing these distinct social classes, you understand a little bit more how significant it was for the Roman centurion in Matthew 8 to tell Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Because these classes did not intermingle. And that Roman centurion is holding Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter. He recognized Jesus is of a social status far beyond his rank. Which is part of Jesus' comment, I haven't seen faith like this. He saw Jesus, that's like uh, Pastor David was saying, it was the faith of, of uh, not, not how much faith he had, but that he had the faith in Jesus. He saw Jesus in a really special, important way. So with that, I want to go to Acts 16, 35, 22, 25, and 25, 12. Um, and I want to look at these together. And I've already forgotten what I'm looking at, so you all have to help me. What was the first one? 1635. Okay. 1635. Oh, yeah. This is great. So, and this is even better in the Greek. Um, we got to go back. I got to get you guys caught up in your Greek because we should be reading this in the Greek together. It is so much more fun. Paul and Silas have been put in jail in Philippi. And Paul and Silas haven't been touting the fact that they were Roman citizens. They haven't been using it. They didn't play the I'm a citizen card. You can't do this. 
They didn't care. God wants them in jail. That's where they want to be. Midnight, Paul and Silas are praying. They're singing hymns to God. The prisoners are listening. They've got prison ministry going on. Suddenly, there's a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. Immediately, all the doors are opened. Everyone's bonds are unfastened. The jailer wakes up. He sees the prison doors are open. He draws his sword to kill himself because he thinks the prisoners have escaped. It's a whole lot better than getting flogged by the Romans to see if he had something to do with it. And then getting killed. Paul cries out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're here. We didn't leave. The jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. He's scared to death. He falls down before Paul and Silas. And then he, he, he says, okay, you guys are living for something that, that, that I want. What must I do to be saved? They said, just put your faith in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You can do this. Your household can do this. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. Took him the same hour of the night. Washed their wounds. He was baptized at once. He and all of his family. Then he brought him to his house. He set food before him. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Look what happens now. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police. They said, let these men go. And the jailer said to Paul, the magistrates, the ruler of the city, have sent to let you go. So come on out and you can go in peace. Paul says... No, ain't going to happen. They've beaten us publicly. We are uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. We are in a class above those magistrates. Those magistrates have crossed the line. They've done something that's illegal. And they've done it to people who aren't just, oh, gee, he's a Roman citizen. No. He's a citizen of Rome who reports to the emperor. You don't get Roman citizenship, especially out in the hinterlands of Philippi, unless you're something pretty special. Paul says, nah, they beat us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And they've thrown us into prison. And now they want to throw us out of prison secretly. <laughs> oh, ESV translates that no. In the Greek, it's <laughs> let them come themselves. And the Greek says, and escort us out. They, they threw us in, and now they just want to throw us out? Hey, throw them into prison, throw them out of prison. And do it secretly? No. The magistrates need to come down here. They need to escort us out of this prison. They need a little humility. They need a little fear. And knowing Paul, they need a chance to hear from us. The police reported these words to the magistrates. The magistrates were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they escorted them out. And asked them, please leave. (laughs) Do you see the, the Roman citizenship here? This is a big deal. This is not... We, we just take it for granted. You're born in the U.S., you're a U.S. citizen. That's not the way it was then. Not at all. So now with that, go to the Acts twenty-two twenty-five. I want you to see what happens here. This is Acts twenty-two twenty-five. This is when Paul's about to get... Uh, okay, up to this, they listen to Paul. And then uh, when Paul said, God told me, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, the Jewish crowd raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He shouldn't be allowed to live. As they're shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune orders him to be brought into the barracks. Now, 
Tribune, there are different Latin words for, for this, but this is Greek, and this is clearly referencing a, uh, uh, um, the, the leader of the, the military unit there, 600 to 1,000 men. Um, so he's over the centurion. Centurion is over a century of men, a hundred men. You get six to ten centurions under the tribune or the one who's over a thousand men. All right? In fact, the, the Greek word that's translated tribune means leader of a thousand. So the tribune orders Paul to be brought into the barracks saying that Paul should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him. See, Paul gave his speech in Hebrew. This Roman tribune couldn't understand Hebrew. He just knows he gave Paul permission to speak to the crowd. Paul starts talking in this Semitic language where they have all sorts of weird sounds, you know, and stuff. He don't know what it means. And then everybody, the riot starts back up. One of the chief jobs of the tribune is to keep the peace. That's like his big thing. And this is a huge riot. Realize, put this in time context. We're within 10 years of Jerusalem and, and, and Jewish rebellion against Rome. And th- this is a tense situation. And the tribune's supposed to keep peace. Now all of a sudden, Paul, Mr. Rabble Rousers, got him doing this stuff. And he did it in a foreign language that, that the tribune couldn't even understand. So the tribune says, torture him. Find out what he's saying, what he's doing. I need to know what is going on in this area where I'm in charge of keeping the peace. So Paul's taken in. They stretch him out for the whips. They pull your arms out and they tie you to a post. And they get him ready with the whips. These whips have have glass and iron and nails at the end of the leather. These are the whips, the flagellum, that, that cause... Most a, a, a number of people will die or be permanently injured from these. I mean, it rips the skin off, but it rips off the muscle. It penetrates organs. I mean, you get a bad whip and the, the nail goes in the liver. I, it, this is not a good thing, okay? Paul says to the centurion, that's the leader of a hundred men, he directly reports to the tribune. Oh, thank you. Paul says to the centurion who's standing there, is it lawful? For you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and hadn't been judged guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What the heck are you about to do? Now that's that's centurion talk. This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune comes to Paul and says, Tell me, are you really a Roman citizen? Paul says, yes. The tribune says, I bought my citizenship. Cost me a lot of money. See, citizen, Roman citizen, a class above the centurion, a class above those soldiers, someone who's got rights as a citizen of Rome. Those rights are enforced by the head of the city of Rome, a.k.a. Caesar. And Paul's got those rights, and Paul has not been condemned by Paul's leader, Caesar. And so Paul is now confronting another citizen, and that question, comment, I bought my citizenship for a large sum, Paul says, but I'm a citizen by birth. Paul's saying, I'm in a different social class than you are, bucko. You should be polishing my shoes. You're not allowed to sit where I sit. You're one who may be polluting Roman citizenship. That's what the tribune's hearing, even though I don't think that's necessarily... I mean, Paul's not asking for him to polish his shoes. This is a huge deal. So those who are about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid. He realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had had him bound. Something that could not be done. Now, to me, this is... 
this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal in, in a number of different ways. I'm, I'm concerned that we don't give enough credit to it. When we understand these social distinctions, all of a sudden, this starts making a difference to us. And I'm going to show you that in the points for home. So hang on to it. This is a very important part of the points for home. This also makes it important when Paul writes, if we start understanding this culture... When Paul writes to his, his folks and says, our citizenship is in heaven. He's telling the church, the believers, that we belong to a whole different, I mean, we've got something that no one else has. It's, it's just really interesting part. So, now, having said all of this, we've got Paul. He's born in Tarsus, Cilicia, citizen of Tarsus, Cilicia, born Roman. Father, I didn't mean to have to go through all of those. Let's go through them fast. Sorry. There. Member of the Sanhedrin. Now, Paul, at this point, and this is your teaser for next week, and then we'll do the points for home. Paul had been a member of the Sanhedrin. And he said in Acts 26 that Paul cast his vote to kill people. This really bothers me. So this is what I want to dig into with you next week. In Acts 22, 4 through 5, we've got this concern. Now, I can't get into it today. I don't have enough time, so we're skipping it. But next week, I really want to... Did Paul really... Responsible for killing people? When? And why would he do that? We'll look at that in some detail next week. That's on our to-do list. I got to know more. I got to know more. All right, here are our points for home. Paul said, We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I got more. He's writing that to the church at Philippi. Paul had more both in a Roman sense and Paul had more in a Hebrew sense. I mean, Paul was truly up there. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't go to the Roman tribune immediately and say, I'm a Roman citizen, I could be wearing a toga right now. I'd like to address the Jewish people. Paul doesn't tell the Roman tribune at that point of his Roman citizenship. All he does is say he's a citizen of Tarsus. Paul doesn't wear it. I mean, how many of us are driven by a desire to let other people know how important we are. How many of us are driven by a desire to let other people see what we have? How many of us are driven by a, a desire to make sure people perceive us well? Paul had no confidence in the flesh. He didn't care. He only cared about the message of Jesus. If he needed to be a Jew to the Jews for them to hear Jesus, he was a Jew to the Jew. If he needed to be a Gentile to the Gentiles, he was a Gentile to the Gentile. That's what he cared about. He knew what really counted. What really counted is the message of Jesus. What really counts is not today. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. It's not what we accumulate in this life. It's not the joy we have in this life. What really counts is what we do for the kingdom of God that lasts eternally. Everything else he told the Corinthians is wood, hay, and stubble that will burn up. Paul had singular vision. He had laser focus. He cared about what counts. And here's one of the best examples. In Acts 21, 39, Paul wants to address the people. 
Paul tells the Roman tribune, I am a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Here's what he's saying. I'm in this social class. Give me some respect. Let me talk to him. I'm a freed person. Answer to question one. Question two, I'm a citizen of a city. I mean, Paul could have laid down his trump card. He could have played the ace of spades. He could have said, I'm a Roman citizen. And I was born into it. Let me talk to him. But Paul doesn't. Paul tells, he's not bragging. He's telling him just enough to get to give the gospel message. He's using that opportunity for God. And it's only, and, and, and here's the irony. Then Paul stands up and he addresses the Jews right after that. Guy gives him permission. What does Paul say to the Jews? He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. See what's missing? He didn't tell the Jews, hey, I'm a citizen of Tarsus. Hey, I'm above you in the Roman world and in the Roman ideology. I'm in a class above you. That wouldn't have done any good. Might have impressed a couple of people. Might have thought, hey, Paul made something of himself. Hey, Paul's got some money. Hey, Paul, well, we knew he was from a well-to-do family. Paul didn't give a rip about that. Paul's just trying to communicate to them the gospel, the saving message of Jesus as Messiah. So he only tells them what's important. He's using those opportunities. He's making his choices for God. He doesn't pull out that Roman citizenship until he needs it to save his life so that he can continue to give the message all the way to Rome. Pretty cool dude. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus? Father, thank you for this morning. And in the name of Jesus, I pray your blessings on those who hear the message. Father, um, sensitize us, point out to us where we need to be more focused in on proclaiming Jesus. Where we need to see our opportunities in this life as opportunities to proclaim Jesus. Where we, where we redefine what we say about ourselves and what we do about ourselves and what we show others to make it what magnifies Jesus. May we see our jobs as opportunities to magnify Jesus. May we see our families as opportunities to point to Jesus. May we see our social circle as opportunities to point to Jesus. May we see the people we bump into at the restaurant, on the streets, in the stores as opportunities to bear witness to Jesus. Give us laser focus, Father, on being who we need to be for Jesus. In his name, amen. See you guys next Sunday.